Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, guys? It's Jared from The Corner Booth. Do you like living balls out? Oh, boy, do I have a spot for you. Over 200,000 customers happily agree Ballsy is the best place for men's grooming products for your man area. Free of BS chemicals like paraben and sulfate made right here in the U.S. of A. Go to Ballsy.com. Use promo code BELLYUPSPORTS, all capitals. Ballsy is an official sponsor of The Corner Booth Podcast and Belly Up Sports. You are now in the Corn Roof Podcast, a sports podcast from Belly Up Sports and the Belly Up Podcast Network. Here is your host, Jared Clinton. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Corn Roof Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Klim, alongside my intern, Samir, and my right-hand man, partner in crime, host of the Tailgate in the Quad pod, Mr. Kevin. Fresh off of doing <laughs> doing more belly-up work than he can handle sometimes, but the kid's chugging through. Um, big day in football, because we had a trade last, I think it was, I believe, last, yesterday, right? Like, mid-afternoon, the what trade went through with the Panthers? Yeah. Yeah, yeah like, there I, you go. We got another trade possibly coming down the pipe. Nothing official, but there are rumors that they're – Another top five pick might get moved. We've got NCAA tournament reactions. The be- congratulations, of course, to the Baylor Bears for their national title last night. And a wild weekend final four period. And opening week of the MLB. Um, what what we thought, what we liked, what we hated. We'll get all to it. Uh, first off, boys, Sam Darnold officially on the move. I, I did say this last week. I felt it was going to be with the next two weeks. He's on the move. He's going to go. It didn't feel right with all the mock drafts still saying Zach Wilson at two, that they would hang on to Darnold for any longer. Going to the Carolina Panthers, in return, they get a sixth-round pick this year, a second round next year, and a fourth round next year. Thank you to my intern for making sure I have clarification on that. Uh, I love it for three reasons for both teams. One, the Jets get a well-needed restart button at the quarterback position. There's nothing wrong with Darnold, nothing wrong with his talent. The problem was he got hosed with who he got off as a first coach. There's no doubt about that. Me and Kevin, it doesn't matter. It could have been Troy Aikman. No, Kevin hates Troy Aikman. Could have been John Elway out there uh, taking snaps in the in that Kelly Green. It well, John Elway wasn't great early in his career either. I know he he had some uh, turnover problems. It wouldn't have mattered who was out there. Adam Gates was a horrible head coach. 
Um, even Todd Bowles is not great either. So this way, Darnold goes to Joe Brady and Matt Rule down in Carolina, who will definitely help his he gets his boy Roddy Anderson back. And honestly, for the Jets, you get a clean slate under Robert Sala. And there's so many draft. I think I have 22 or 23 draft picks over the next two years. The only team who comes close is my Philadelphia Eagles. I think of like 20. So there you go, boys. Jets get a fresh start. The, the uh, Panthers. I, I feel like Darnold, of course, they're, they're talking about giving Teddy Bridgewater his own freedom to seek a trade, I guess. That's the uh, word right now. So we'll see where he moves. I could see him going, being in the same position Darnold was a few years ago. I mean, um, Bradford was after Bridgewater got hurt coming full circle. I don't know. There could be a lot of different things right now. Cause, uh, you could have a team like – like what happens if the Saints get in the camp and James Winston is atrocious? Do they call Teddy be like, hey, listen – um. Well, sorry, a couple. Of picks. I mean, even in his own division, yeah, it would suck. But I mean, at least like if they throw no picks at him. The Panthers have also said they're not definitely trading Bridgewater. They're giving him the option to find a trade partner. But they said if he doesn't want to leave, we're not going to just trade him. We would love to have him around. Which I I think is admirable at best. I think seeking the trade if Bridgewater because I think Bridgewater is a starting caliber quarterback. Do I think he's top twenty? Probably not. Do I think he's good enough to be a starter on a lot of teams? Oh, obviously. But so they've so, clearly stated that it's Darnold's job to lose. Basically. I mean, okay. I think that's the vibe right now. So we'll see. Uh, definitely camp. It's def, uh, Camp starts July 27th, 8th, whatever. We'll definitely see at that point how everything's looking. But I think Roddy, Robbie Anderson, uh, DJ Moore – De- uh, definitely going to be a good mix of weapons for Darnold, especially having CMC back as well. Um, yeah, I, I think this were this this trade is one of those few trades you see during the offseason where both teams got better instantly. So, all right, I'm conflicted on this overall though. Okay, shoot. Uh, so Matt Rule loved Sam Darnold when Matt Rule was interviewing for the Jets job. Sam Dar- he met with Sam Darnold and Darnold was asking about culture and. More t- he wasn't asked about scheme. He wasn't asked about how will I be used. He wanted to know about Matt Rule. So Matt Rule loved him from that moment on. So I get why I traded him, traded for him. However, Teddy Bridgewater did fine last year. The Panthers didn't have a very good team around him. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know if they should have gotten Darnold and given up draft capital for it. And on the Jets side, the Jets still suck. They have no team. What if you draft Zach Wilson? How often do rookie quarterbacks go into a situation like that where the team around them's perennial, perennially atrocious, <clears throat> and then they have a great career after? Look at the Browns. They ruined so many quarterbacks' careers because they didn't have a team around them. You should have kept Darnold for a year and benched Zach Wilson said, look, we do not want you behind this line. We do not want you playing with these weapons. We want you to stay confident. That's why you're not starting right away. Also, Zach Wilson is not ready to start day one, I don't think. He doesn't have the arm strength. He trusts his arm too much when he can't, shouldn't. The only reason I can see the Jets trading Sam Darnold is he he is owed, uh, his cap hit this year is $4.7 million. Next year, apparently, it's $18.9 million. <laughs> That's a jump. Yeah, and his dead, ca- like, dead cap's the same for both. So I get why the Jets traded him this year, but I don't get why the Panthers wanted him. And Sam Darnold's good. I, I blame Adam Gase 
wholeheartedly for his career being a shit show right now. What? Well, I don't know. I feel like it seemed like, um, you know, Bridgewater was a temporary solution. It's not like Bridgewater past that three-year deal. It's not like he was going to be around. So I feel like have getting a younger guy who, I mean, what's his third, fourth year now, um, who has a lot of potential and loves the coach. I feel like that's a great fit in like, like, okay, they did give up a good bit of draft capital. But now it's like, okay, you can build and you have who you're believing to be your franchise guy. And now if, uh, you know, Teddy's open for trading, I, I'm sure they could get draft capital back. Not as much, but at least something. Fair. I mean, I, I just think they could have done more with, if they can get a, not a haul, but if they can get something equal back for Bridgewater, uh, fine. If they can get a second back, if they can end up getting a second in in some kind of deal, then yeah, that that seems good. I think the best case scenario for the New York Jets in the draft is yeah yeah they should take Zach Wilson too. I I don't think you get a quarterback talent like that very often. I think he's definitely Kev. I do agree. I think he needs a little time to realize. Hey man, listen. I the the seat the Coastal Carolina game is where I like I was like okay maybe this kid needs to chill a little bit. I'm just yeeting it downfield because. That Coastal Carolina team made him look like a backup quarterback. So, I guess my first thing is definitely they need they should take um they should take Wilson at two. I think talent wise, he hits hit. I I just the everyone after Lawrence to me is just odd. I don't think he's better than Lawrence by any stretch, but I think he's the best will fit for that because his ability to improv, improvise. I think they should move up in their second pick to see if they can maybe snake a tackle. Or maybe just another interior line. Because they have Makai Becton, who's great as a rookie last year. So maybe, yeah. like, getting another guy inside as their second pick. Maybe not worrying about a corner yet, because this is a very deep cornerback class. You might be able to get a Stokes out of Georgia in the second round. Or maybe if he falls past, because there's there's always prospects who shouldn't fall but do every year. Maybe Asante Samuel Jr., who's projected to go mid to late first round, could also fall to the beginning of the first, I mean, the second as well. So I will say this, that they should definitely address offensive line at least in the first two rounds at minimum and maybe see if they can go get some help. Maybe a Kevin Zeitler or Eric Fisher, who are both free agents currently. Yeah, I could see the Jets are going to jet. I know, Kevin. Yeah, they're the goddamn Jets. I know know you're also a goddamn Patriots fan, but – I'm thinking if I was the the GM of the Jets today, because they still have a ton of cap space, why not go out and get Eric Fisher? At least solid line play. You don't need elite line play right now, but at least something to keep your rookie upright when he eventually will come in by, like, I don't know, week four. So that's that's my opinion on the trade. The, the Panthers, God, get some help on defense. That they were It was like watching a flag football game whenever they played. All right. Next up, speaking of trades, draft. It was reported around 11 o'clock this morning, according to Adam Schefter, that Schefter, I just gave up, whatever. That short <laughs> you guy. You call yourself, it's fine. That, yeah. that short guy from ESPN, who I just love so much. Um, Falcons are open to trade in the fourth pick, and they are taking calls. So, I have a theory by that I talked to, I, I kind of alluded to this about Samir, to Samir about this before Kevin came on for the pre-show meeting. What if... The guy the Falcons want is going to be there if they trade back. A certain mm. quarterback from a red team. Mm. 
either Mr. Fields or Mr. Jones. Now, first of all, Matt Jones of the Falcons would make Cruz literally rip his own eyeballs out. <laughs> that, I think Schefter also reported that the 49ers are most likely going to take Mac Jones at three. Which I, which is, I, I, I heard that already because uh, Rappaport was on McAfee, I think, Thursday, and he said the same exact thing. So, Jones, like, I think they wanted Jones, and they realized that if the Niners do take Jones, there's no chance they're, they, they might as well trade back because at that point you have Fields or Lance dropping. And I don't think, I, it, it's weird. I, I don't know because, all right, let's play, let's play advocate here, Kev. So you and me can do consensus, feel free. Me and Kev have done enough mock drafts right now. One, two, three, we could just say it's Lawrence Wilson and most likely Mac Jones. Yeah. Possibly. Yeah. Like, well, I don't know. I I think Shanahan wants a mobile quarterback. I think Trey Lance. Honestly, if you were going to put a gun to my head right now and say, I still say Trey Lance, I think the Mac Jones rumor just doesn't make sense to me. They struggled with a quarterback with like, they struggled with a quarterback that didn't have mobility. He says he wants a quarterback mobility. Trey Lance fits that bill. The dude runs like a fullback with speed and has an arm. I, I think that Lance gets there right away, right away. Do the Falcons then at that point trade back because they could get another pick out of it plus possibly have Jones fall to them at 10 or 11 or 12? Because I, I have a weird feeling that Philadelphia just traded back to the end of the first rounder and then they'll trade back up again because they have so much draft cap. That would be an Eagles move. That would also be a Cowboys move to do that. There's a bunch of teams who would trade up out of 10, 11, 9, 7, 8, whatever who'd want to move up to go get maybe a certain tight end from Florida or a certain wide receiver from LSU who ran a slower 40 time than this video said. <laughs> nice job for you two guys for finding that video, by the way. Um, I don't know. This is a weird situation now because I did not expect the Falcons to be training back. I figured they'd go one, two, three, four quarterbacks right off the board. Just done. All four. Just gone. And like leave Justin Fields here to kind of float around in the back end of the first round. Honestly, I'm kind of getting on board with with Fields. Like from what I'm, I've, you know, I've been looking at his tape a little bit more, and I obviously watched his pro day, and I, I'm starting to, you know, I was doubting the way he makes reads, and I, from what I'm seeing, it looks honestly very good, and the kid moves well too. Uh, I don't know why he's, why the hype's been kind of waning, and why he's been falling so hard. Oh, I have an answer to that. Kev's got it. Go. Uh, Dan Orlovsky was on the. Pat McAfee show. Damn, he got my point. <laughs> oh, is it the work ethic? Yeah, for he's it's the last the work one ethic. Out. He's supposedly yeah, last one in, first one out, but also his throwing motions all messed up. Instead of doing a C, he's this is bad podcasting, but Talking he back. has his arm flat like this and then winds up. Uh huh. Yeah. It's very similar to I would say. He said Tebow-ish, but Tebow would drop his ba- the ball basically to his ass and then pull it back up and throw it. Like, you, like the best throwing motion I've ever seen for a mobile quarterback was Michael Vick still, because that ball, it's three steps. Bang, 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 out. It, uh, Got out quick. Same thing. It's three motions. Like, the problem is with Justin Fields, he has an extra – Kevin's right on the money, though, in, with Orlovsky. Or uh, basically where he has to go forward, then go back, and then release. And it's a whole – thing and on top of that the elbow also leads on a throwing motion which guys like even Wentz in his rookie year would do that occasionally that got corrected in the second year you would ergo what Frank Reich did when they basically had him have an MVP year 
a lot of quarterbacks some have that na- like where your football naturally should not go bo- a bo- like it should not have your elbow leading by more than maybe an inch or two. The football should be here, here, or here, not here. It just doesn't naturally make sense. It takes away arm motion as well. And also the with the concerns about his work ethic, is he going to put in the work to try and fix it? It's also yeah. another thing. He wants right. to be a great athlete. He doesn't necessarily want to be a great quarterback. Like, dude was hyping up his 40. Great. How's your throwing? Yeah, motion? okay. Yeah. I, like, I, great. You're going to be outrun the pass rush. That's not going to pay attention to the fact that you have eight receivers, like five receivers open downfield. Can you hit him? So now are we thinking that he becomes, like, the Mac Jones area of the first round? Like, would a Patriots look at them? I obviously don't think Belichick, after hearing this, would even give it a glance. But with kind of that realm, what are we thinking? If he falls, if the Patriots don't trade up and he falls 15, yeah, I can see the Patriots taking him. Uh, if it doesn't work out, Belichick will trade him. He does not care. But if they, if the Patriots end up trading up, they will not be trading up for Justin Fields. No. Right. Yeah. I only think the only guy they ever they're trading up for wears number 10 for Alabama. That's the only guy I can see them trading up for. Even I did see Trevor Lawrence at, at a Patriots offseason workout. I sent Kevin the video. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. I I got very sad when I saw the 49ers report. but Yeah, I, I was going to text you if I was in the middle of a hell of a job. I was like, oh, I want to text Kevin, but I'm literally running around with case pieces in my hands. But it feels like, okay, so now if the Niners take Mac Jones – it feels like the Garoppolo reunion seems more and more likely, doesn't it? God, I hope not. I For Patriots fans' sanity, I hope not. I lost all the respect for Garoppolo's talent. Not as a personality, but his talent. That Super Bowl, that whole playoff run to me just signified why he's a flawed quarterback at best. The the Emmanuel Sanders throw itself is just is eye-peeling because it's a seam route. It's one of the first routes you're taught to throw as a quarterback with any kind of arm strength. Two... They took the ball out of his hands so many damn times on that Super Bowl run. Like, Brady, when the Patriots or the Buccaneers needed a win, needed a first down, needed a score, they didn't run the ball. They said, hey, 12, get us in the end zone. Same thing with, um, even with, even with the Eagles with Foles or Wentz, whichever interchangeable part they had at that system. They said, hey, we need a first down, go get it. Peyton Manning with the Broncos and with the Colts, same issue, except that second Super Bowl. That was different. Um, very like, hey, go get us the first down. Go get us the touchdown. With Garoppolo, it was like, hey, re- rely on Moser, Brita, and uh, who was the third? It was Tevin Coleman, right? Tevin Coleman, yeah, to go I mean, get the score. It sucks because Garoppolo, part of the issue is he just has been injured so much. That's going to stunt development because he looked really good with the Patriots that those first couple of years when he had to come in either in garbage time or when Roger Goodell decided he wanted to be a dictator. And then even when he first got to San Francisco before he tore his ACL, he looked really good. Yeah. And then the ACL tear derailed him and he's had small injuries the rest of the time. And that's why I don't want him. It's those injuries. Fair. I've yeah, seen what Stidham can do. I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> Um, right. One other thing I wanted to bring up, I saw this briefly yesterday, a little small report. Among teams still kind of looking at Sean Watson, uh, the Eagles have popped up as sniffers. Have you heard yeah, this? I'm gonna blow those. I'm gonna blow those rumors dead right now. 
Um, <laughs> every damn time there is a somebody in the Eagles media just doesn't like Jalen Hurts. I swear, because you never hear anything from the organization come out about this. You only hear it coming from like Eagles sources. Some of them are legitimate, some are not. I swear, somebody in that organization is so butthurt about the Wentz trade, they are leaking anything they can about this Hurts stuff. And listen, I understand. Somebody asked me today, like, wouldn't you, if Russell Wilson's available tomorrow, wouldn't you take him? I'm like, obviously, he's a top 10 quarterback, but here's such the issue. A stupid question. Yes, it's a, <laughs> such a stupid question. I know. But here's the thing it's like, at the same time, why would I give up the fucking farm? Yeah. You don't have the cap space to pay the motherfucker anyway. So why the hell would I do that? Okay, Jared, I have a question for you. Issue, we can't even pay that shit either. We have Jared, four I have million dollars available in cash space. <laughs> if you could have prime Peyton Manning, would you take him? Obviously. Oh, so you just I'm don't trust Brady. Jalen Hurts then? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Also, Looks like he's going to be coming in with a lot of trust issues from the coach. It's not just a Jalen Hurts thing. It's a Philadelphia media thing. Every time there's a big-name player up for trade, every time there's a big-name free agent, it's, yeah. oh, Philly can get him. Philly should try to get him. They're a premier destination. No, they're not. Second no, off, they Philly don't always have enough to trade to get these guys. Philly was a premier destination in 2017 and 2018. That was it. Like, there was there was a vibe in Philly for those two years where I was like, all right, this is the this is the Meek Mill crew. These guys are the the underdogs, the ski mask guys. These guys, it's fun. It's culture. Sirianni, apparently the vibe is out of the building. This dude is like Joe Judge, but like an offensive whiz kid. Like the intensity is ridiculous. Like he's chasing down guys at practice and stuff. At like at like uh, off season workouts and shit. He's like hyper competitive. So I'm like, okay, I love it. I'm worth it. I'm with it. But um. I just like I just shoot these dead. I'm sorry. Deshaun Watson shouldn't be playing football next year. Unless like the unthinkable happens and every we and Kev talked about this last week. Like unless the unthinkable happens and every single one of these charges gets dropped at yeah. that point that's the only way he's playing football next year cuz what is what the act Well, we at 22 right now. I don't think he's going to step on a football it, field ever again. All charges aren't being dropped anymore cuz he's now Police reports have now been filed, so he's going to criminal court as well. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. There is no there is no chance. This is just the Eagle Philadelphia media is trying to kick up more dirt. I also, what would happen media, if, I also think the media in Philadelphia, Kevin, is also just trying to make Howie Roseman look as shitty as possible at all times. Yeah, they like doing that. I mean, I, I like— He doesn't need help, though! He doesn't need help, though, unless, like, Kyle Pitts drops the 12 and the Eagles get him and then have three first-round picks next year. That's the no, only one. way he doesn't look like Kyle a— Kyle Pitts falls to 12. They trade back again. <laughs> Kyle Pitts Kevin, somehow keeps Kevin, falling. at that point, I may need you to drive down here and just give me a hug because I'm going to just be inconsolable for about 20 watch, minutes. Watch. Kyle Pitts keeps dropping. Philly keeps trading back. Like, oh, Kyle Pitts at 12, Philly trades back to 16. Kyle Pitts is still here, trades back to 22. Kyle Pitts, still here. I feel like at that point, Sirianni might slug Howie Roseman. Like, like this dude's intense. Like, he's not going to take, like, you're telling me you basically have a guy who, like, has, like, a measurables to, like, Calvin Johnson, and you're not going to try to get him. Come on, Howie. Oh, I think Larry will be in the war room just with a shotgun pointed at the back of Roseman's head. Hey, he, the kid from Florida. And, hey, oh, you want to tra- you want us to trade back? Bang, picks up the phone. No, hangs up. Hey, hey, uh, they'll call the table. 
uh, Pitts, Kyle, Florida, tight end. Done. Just it just ends it. <laughs> like I actually, you know, it's so funny. The the whole thing with the Jamar Chase thing now with that forty time video. I'm not about the whole. I mean, I think he's gonna be a great receiver, but like now that I'm kind of like the four three eight, I was like, oh, this kid's gonna be broke. He's gonna be like a broken cheat code in the league, and I'm like. He, and then Kevin goes, this is the slowest 40 time I've ever seen. That's what he texted me. The the fastest 4-3-8 you, you ever saw. And I was like, wait a minute. That just feels off because I watched the video then. And then our thought was it the it, Samir who sent the video of them timing it, right? No, I didn't. I, was, oh. I think it was – oh, I thought it was Pat. I did because I saw the 40 time saying this is the slowest 4-3-8 I've ever seen. And then the first reply was the guy who actually timed yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, that I saw that as well. Yeah, crazy. Well, four, five, two. I mean, not terrible for a wide receiver. I'm not gonna act like that's a shit time, but for what the premier talent Jamar Chase was boasting, well, like the, what the premier talent Jamar Chase is putting up, it's making Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith, and Rashad Bateman and Raheem Moore look a little better. Can, can I also get something off my chest, by the way? Sure, preach. Every every year, an Alabama quarterback does well. It's well, he had great weapons around him. That's it. What about Joe Burrow? Yeah. He was yeah, trashed no, I mean, the year before, and then he had good weapons, was put in a pass-first offense, and did well. Why is it not scheming off in weapons for him? I mean, then you go to the pros. Look, he had T. Higgins, who arguably was the most underrated receiver in the draft last year, played great. Um, you still had Tyler Boyd, one of the best slot receivers in the league, top, I'd, I'd say top five slot receiver. And then even the ghost of John Ross and A.J. Green for about five minutes. So, I mean, like... It's not the worst weapon. And Joe Mixon for a couple games. Like, I'm never in Giovanni Bernard. That's not a bad supporting cast. Nobody could block for him, but it's not a bad supporting cast. He also had, like, the lowest. It wasn't completion percentage. It was, like, accuracy rate on deep throws last year. Yeah, no, we talked worst about in the this league. because this stat was mind-blowing. He was He's so a highlight back. He's a highlight quarterback. That's what he is. The Burrow hype was ridiculous. I even I was boasting last year all during the draft. I'm like Herbert's the better quarterback over Burrow, and I had yeah. people like, making fun of me and shit. Not not on the show. Kevin actually grew. Kevin was it was was sinking the Burrow ship too. Um, but like I, I like at work, dude. It's like how like they read my mock draft. Like how the hell do you think Herbert's a better quarterback? I'm like four offensive coordinators, better arm, less stupid decisions, knows when to get rid of the damn ball. Do you need more reasons? Like, damn, like, and oh, and a better arm motion too. Like, I, I, I gave those four reasons. Like, oh no, no, Burrow's gonna be better, bro. I'm like, no, he's not. I'm sorry. Like, sorry, frat boy football fan. Like, he's not. I also. I mean, you see a guy. Be... You just see a picture of a guy smoking a cigarette or a cigar after winning a title, and you think he's the greatest player of all time. That's what I think what happened. Mac Jones' football. picture was better. Oh, oh he's easily. Mac Jones is a unit. I love him. He's <laughs> I also think Joe Burrow's decision-making has to come into serious question here because he's pushing for the Bengals to take Jamar Chase, not an offensive tackle. Which, you yeah. know what dream scenario would be? That the Bengals actually take Sewell, or even Slater, I really don't care. And then the Dolphins will take Chase, obviously, because they're, they're going to need a big body guy for Tua. Because they got the speed guy in Fuller, I think Chase, I think Jamar Chase is honestly the best for, for Miami. Because they have a tight end Gasicki. Taking Kyle Pitts makes not illogical sense, but 
I feel like a more creative offense would be better for him, where uh, like the Dolphins is more just like straight and narrow and normal. I don't know. Gesicki's leaving though after this year, right? And he's gonna want money. Depends on what they ask, for, what he asked for. I don't know. Right. It, it, that it's 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 an odd situation. Miami's the wild card at six. I don't know. It's I think it's I think the whole thing is hysterical. I think this whole like after pick three, no even pick three. I think after pick two is just like gonna be the bit. It's gonna be 2016 all over again. Where like we have no idea what's happening. I think we knew one, two, and three in 16. It was gonna be Goff, Wentz, and then Bosa. After that, nobody knew what the Cowboys were taking at four. There was a lot of people who thought they were going like corner or tackle. It took Zeke at four. Then you move down, and, like, you had guys going at six who we didn't think were going until 15. We had Laramie Tunsil, who fell to, like, 13 with Miami. I think this is going to be a very similar draft. So, I, I it's just – it's going to be crazy. It is going to be wild. I'm excited. This is the first – this is the first draft where things felt like really anything could happen. Actually, I did feel that way last year for the Giants. Um like we could get another weapon or something and we got Andrew Thomas and I was like sorely let down. It wasn't even like sad. I was just like, that was the right choice. No, it was the right, it was the right choice, but it just wasn't anything flashy. And I was like, Oh, all right. It was the right choice at the time, but he's, he's not great. No, he's developing and he was injured all year. So like, I I anything better than DJ flowers. Let's be honest here. Uh, Oh my God. Literally, and then he goes. He play. He switches positions to guard. He's like actually a decent lineman. It's Solid. Just, oh, I was yeah. so mad. <laughs> All right, you guys ready? Half of our players went to the Washington, Washington and like became okay, except Landon Collins, who became an absolute bust. He's basically a glorified linebacker at this point. Yeah. Kevin, anything else you want to move to tournament time? We can move to tournament time. All right, gentlemen. Of course, first off, congratulations. We talked about before the Baylor Bears uh, are national champions. I, think, I believe this is their first national championship in men's basketball. Yeah. So first, also their first uh, Big 12 title in over like I think it was like three, four decades, or whatever. I I remember watching them win. I was at the gym on the treadmill. I was like, oh, good for them. Good, like good for good for Baylor. Um, I love how I'm hearing a lot of bully ball vibes. Like these dudes are physical. They're a little older. They're meaner. I watched the game last night a little bit. I made about halfway through. I watched the end of the second half. I had it split screened with a movie because I was not paying attention for the first half. And I tried to. I wanted to watch the end, of course. And, um, oh man, it just looked like, I went back and watched like the condensed game again, just to kind of get a complete, like Baylor just looked like they were a different class of team. It reminded me of when UNC played Gonzaga a couple years ago, where Gonzaga again, looked like they were going to take it and just looked out gas, out muscle from the beginning. I'm not saying they, well, in that case, North Carolina outshot them. And out rebounded them. But in this case, Baylor just beat them up and just was it, it didn't look even like I mean there was a couple of times they got within 10, 15 points, but they never had they never lost the lead. It was ridiculous. I was like, holy shit, like this it's gonna go down like this. There goes the Gonzaga season. Gonzaga is the first school known for its basketball program. It is an atrocious basketball program. They've made two national championships, lost both of them. They have two players in the league. They don't put a lot of guys in the NBA anymore. They never really put a lot in. Like, yeah, John Stockton, arguably one of the greatest point guards of all time. But that's it. Right now they have Kelly Olenek and and, uh, Sabonis. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Alabama has three players in the league right now. 
Had if, to bring up the Tide. Roll Tide. Look, Alabama had a great year, but if you are a basket known for being good at basketball, you should have more players in the league. They have a few, actually. I looked it up yesterday. They have Brandon Clark. They have Zach Collins and Rui Hachimura. Olenek Sabonis. So six. They have six right now. I thought Zach Clark was a Gonzaga guy. I knew he was Northwest. I thought it may have been Washington. Um, Their Wikipedia page lied to me. It should still be better players or more players. Also, Baylor has somehow gotten away with having so many scandals that would make LSU and Ole Miss blush. They talked about rebuilding after some terrible thing that happened 20 years ago because one of their players killed a teammate for Baylor basketball. And then the whole football team thing, which was terrible. I just, I just did want either team to win. I don't like Gonzaga and Baylor. I, I just can't root for them in good faith. I mean, we could also talk about the insane uh, Final Four. Um, I mean, Houston versus Baylor was not entertaining, but can we talk about UCLA Gonzaga quickly? That last three minutes of, of regulation and then the, the overtime. Holy mother of God, that was incredible. Absurd. I was – the the Jalen Sugg shot was literally one of my favorite sports moments of all time. I'm just like – an absolute shock. And what made it even more crazy was that I had no thought in my head, oh, they're going to drive down and get a score here. No, I thought, okay, we're going to overtime again. I'm going to pass out before this game's over. And I'm just sitting there watching them just drive, run down the field, around the court. Sucks, Chucks, I'm like, oh, I ain't going in. And I heard the whistles keep going. I'm like, oh, they're calling the shot off. Oh, no, it's not. Like, the UCLA fans. My favorite thing, though, was the videos of the UCLA fans at bars. Oof. Oh, my God. I felt so bad, but it was hysterical. I didn't. Did you see- utter shock. I hate UCLA. Do you see the guy who bet on UCLA and was at work while uh- – he, the shot went in. There was like security I, camera footage. It I, was so funny. I did not see this yet. I mean, that's how kind of how I felt during the whole um, whatever his freaking name from Villanova was after the Marcus Page like hail mary shot he hit the play before. It always seems like that though. There's always some crazy ridiculous shot, and then like the putback by UCLA was great because the guy bricked a wide open shot. Somehow grabs only up one hand and just like laid it right back in. Like, it looked so smooth, but it in reality, is like, really hard to pull that off. And then I was like, oh, crap, okay, good. I think UCLA might have a shot here, and then just Jalen sucks. Nope, done. Yeah. Wow, that was insane. But all, overall... also a freak athlete. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He was that a four-star dual-threat quarterback, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who was he getting... He had a couple great offers, too. Uh, I'm not sure. I can only see... His basketball stuff right now. Fair enough. I know because I knew I saw a couple Big Ten and ACC schools, and I think a couple ICC as well who reached out to him. But um, he's from Minnesota, I think. Yeah, he's from Minnesota. Um, he's anyway, best friends with uh Paige Beckers, who plays here oh. at UConn. So so good. Yes. Uh, so, so I know they're friends, but they need to have a kid and just have it be the greatest basketball yeah. specimen ever. Oh yeah. Doesn't matter what gender. It would be like, absurd. Man or woman, wouldn't matter. It would still dominate whatever league it's in. Insane. Yeah. All right. Uh, oh, final thoughts on the tournament before we roll into baseball. It was a fun one this year. A lot of 
crazy. I like UCLA going deep as 11 seed was fun. That was pretty. No, sick. it wasn't. What do you not like UCLA? Yeah, so you don't like anyone right now. I don't like UCLA. They're who do you numbers. like, Kevin? Who do you like? Nate Oates, Alabama, with the number three recruiting class in the nation, baby. Um, yeah, you know, I thought it was a great tournament. Uh, it was entertaining. It really scoffed on a bad foot when literally I turned my head for two hours and I come back and my Tar Heels got whooped by Wisconsin and then Wisconsin gets whooped the next week. I'm like, that's just how the week's going to go. Um, speaking of North Carolina, uh, Hubert Davis was announced as the replacement for Roy Williams, who announced his retirement, I believe, Friday. Um, Hubert Davis, uh, former uh, college game day for ESPN and a longtime assistant coach for Mr. Williams. Coach Williams, of course, Drip Williams himself, who had the best Jordans I'd ever seen on a head coach, besides maybe Penny Hardaway, uh, of course, announced retirement. And uh, Hubert Davis has been there for a while. I feel like it's a nice breath of fresh air for North Carolina. I felt the last... I think ever since 17, the team's kind of felt a little, like, short of breath, if that makes sense. Like, just very, like, kind of just feel like maybe the last 20 years of Joe Pa's existence at Penn State kind of feel. Like, it's like, all right, guys, come on, time to retire. So, uh, good for uh, Hubert Davis. I think North Carolina will be back in a year or two. Guy's a damn good recruiter already, and uh, he's basically doing it for Roy for the last couple years anyway. Uh, they're already opening at 20, like late 20s in the top 25, I believe. So good for them. Uh, all right. You already talked some baseball. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Crazy opening week. Uh, we had fights break out. We have a yeah. new favorite player of mine that plays for the Reds. Um, we had home runs galore. We had new uniforms. We have the a lot of prospects. We've got a bunch of fun stuff. So, boys. Best and worst of the opening week of baseball. In turn, the floor is yours. Okay, so my best might be a little bit of flex, but yesterday I did go to Fenway Park and I did see a Boston Red Sox game live. Even as a Yankees fan, live baseball was beautiful. Hearing, A, the hum of the crowd, sitting there and just hearing, like, you know, that buzz when you're in a stadium, I was, like, taken aback. I was like, holy shit, I I haven't heard this in forever. Uh, The wave? We're doing the wave? uh and just like oh uh, another great moment uh jd martinez's last at bat some guy screams out hey jd i got you for two for two plus hits plus 500 and he hits a three-run dinger off pesky pole it was pretty awesome um but other than that the best thing in baseball i think right now is shohei otani he he's amazing incredible 101 miles an hour in the top of the first and a 450-foot bomb in in the bottom of the first. Like, just insane, and, like, nobody else in baseball can do that. This is a new kind of star bringing in all sorts of attention. Because the thing with Mike Trout is people don't like know Mike Trout because he can only affect the team in, what, 9% less of, like, the total game? Yeah. He can't affect that much. My worst has to be suspending Castellanos and just or or you know here's my worst in baseball it's the trend of of you know baseball becoming the three outcome game where it's you strike out you walk or you hit a home run those are the only thing that's happening one of the most action-packed uh parts of the game I watched yesterday was uh when relievers would walk the bases loaded which happens pretty much once a game nowadays so it's like 
something has to change and it has to, I think it has to be they need to get strict about the substances pitchers use for getting the RPMs because that's just ridiculous and juicing the baseball. So those are the two things I think they should change. But yeah. there has to be more – the ball has to be in play more. Baseball is a game of the infield scramble. We're all waiting for – when the ball's in play and things are happening and things are in motion, you're hitting the cutoff guy, where's the throw going to go? That kind of stuff, base running. It doesn't happen as much anymore. I will admit utter chaos is like the best when like a ball gets ripped into the gap and there's a runner on like first and now all hell's breaking loose because is he going to try to score from first? Uh, Kev, best and worst in baseball this week. Best, Nick Castellanos flexing. Dude, you make a big play, show some emotion. That's the biggest complaint people have with baseball. It's boring. No one talks of what they, no one says what they feel. No one shows any sort of emotion. It was great to see. The worst is the MLB. The worst part of the opening weekend for baseball was Major League Baseball. Baseball is a fundamental issue with bringing in younger fans. So what are what's baseball going to do? Oh, you know, just suspend an exciting player who likes flexing and having fun for two games for doing that? What are you doing, Rob Manfred? Rob Manfred's just annoying. He's only, he's I think he's just as bad, if not worse, than Bud Selig. But at least Bud knew how to have fun with it. Um. Castellanos was definitely one of my nominate nominees for um, best because that was just so much fun. Watching him just amp his own team up as he hits a home run was great. Um, I got to say, though, it was just the just the having the games back and having not the usual outcomes. You had the the so on sort like the bad guys of baseball, the guys who were supposed to run away with it again. The Dodgers getting smoked by the Rockies on opening night, which was yeah. great. You had people bringing trash cans to the goddamn Angels Astros games. It was beautiful. Um, it, like the baseball, I will say the vibe check in baseball is definitely better than the, the better this year. Do they yeah. think they need to make, get rid of the stupid on base rule and maybe get more balls in play? Oh, obviously, and not suspend guys who are making the game fun. Yes, but do I think it's passing the vibe check more than definitely the last year? Oh hell yes. Do I do I think like you know? Making sure they keep Corona safe. Oh, obviously. I mean, but it was cool to listen to like a packed house at Texas, COVID opinions or not, and watching a ball get cracked at that stadium, just hearing the crowd erupt. It brought me back a little bit. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Bad notes. Just bullpens. Holy shit! <laughs> Everyone's bullpen looks atrocious this year. I don't understand if it's like the relief pitchers like role is dying. They're looking for more innings eaters now, or these guys are just getting recycled off the streets. Cause I saw three, I, I mean, I, you Darvish started for San Diego the other night, opening night for San Diego, but there were multiple teams. I look over I'm like, Oh, where all the runs get scored. Oh, sixth, seventh, eighth inning. It's like the starters look elite for the first couple of innings. And the, the relievers come in and get smacked. I don't know. Baseball is definitely in a weird spot, like relief pitching, which was essential four years ago is now becoming like this sideshow of just hystericalness. But well, I don't know. I think I feel like because it's because now you see guys, you know, starters only go into the fourth or fifth. So now you are looking for guys who can go two, three innings and eat a lot of those middle innings. And then like middle inning pitchers, you know, like they're between the, the intense, great relievers and starting pitchers. They're, they're kind of a limbo of, 
like who they are and and it, it's not like a hot commodity yet no one is looking for those kinds of guys so these are just these are all like all these middle innings guys are just like minor league starting pitchers that are pitching to get the starting role they're pitching to get into the rotation and they're not really relieved pitchers and, and they're it yeah it's just guys trying to crack the rotation yeah um but it's it's weird baseball i, I think i always think like it's the opening week baseball is going to have some yeah. knockout kevin your red Sox though Drop some new drop some new stuff today, man. Those uniforms look terrible. Yeah, <laughs> they're disgusting. I get yeah. the vibe. So much yellow. I know. Make the much. blue. Make the jersey the blue from the Boston, and it and make the lettering yellow. The hats are nice though. The hats and are, I understand why they're nice. doing it. You know, Patriots Day, Boston Marathon, 2013. Like I get the inspiration behind it, but no. You could have done so much better, Nike. Nike always seems to miss the mark on every other jersey. Like, they hit a home run with one, and then they just swing themselves into the ground another. The hats look fire. The jersey I'm okay with. I give it, like, the hat I give a 10 out of 10. The jersey I give, like, a 5. If they got that royal blue, that's the cleanest look on the planet. But they didn't. They screwed it up, so. The only reason I'm not even more upset is they're wearing it twice. Fair. Like if they're wearing, if it was going to become a regular alternate, I would be pissed. Also, did you see how much it is to buy? Isn't like $130, like for even the like the like the base level one. The replica one is 135. Okay, that's close. Which is like average price for a replica jersey. Sure. On yeah. MOB shop. Yeah. Uh, the authentic is 435 dollars. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> and why okay. for what reason no idea like, uh because larry lucino is a greedy 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 man yeah we all know I kevin's, actually hate, kevin's hatred of boston red sox management and look baseball authentic jerseys are expensive very why i have no idea they're this why they're this expensive but make them 70 bucks why is it not 75 dollars <laughs> it seems uh, like, so easy licensing rights things like that yeah you, know, yeah you gotta pay the sweatshop workers their 13 cents an hour samir it's gotta <laughs> come course. from somewhere especially yeah, now that nike makes them come on samir you know uh, the drill but no it's <laughs> baseball authentic jerseys can run in the 300 dollars, 350 dollars, but 435 dollars, and that's without a player's name on the back once they start doing authentic player jerseys that it's going to be like 470 I mean, the night regular right now, like, if I want to go on to Nike, like, MLBSshop.com, and I want to get, let's say I want to get Tell Marte authentic jersey, right? My boy's starting the year hot as hell. Um, I'm looking at maybe 230 250 if I'm lucky. And I'm fine. I mean, listen, I get that. That's fine. I know the NFL authentic jerseys are, like, $350, so, like, I, I get that. The NBA authentic jerseys make no sense to me. You're basically getting it more fitted-looking for an extra seventy dollars so yeah. I, I don't know it's it, it, i i never would have get i like the mid-level just the stitched letters that's all i want i don't need like the anything higher than that yeah like it, i just want you know stuff stitched on i don't want the iron on numbers yeah so but, yeah thanks all right kev you got something for us Ready to take in? Um, well, I do. A, do you want me to do something weird? Yeah, so let's let's get let's let's do some weird first. All right, 
Castellanos was suspended more for flexing at home plate than every single Astros player combined for their role in the sign stealing scandal. (sighs) If that's not weird, I don't know what is. Oh no, that's hysterical. That just shows how that MLB is trying so hard to gun for Roger Goodell's seat. They want that worst punishing league in the status. I used to think Rob Manfred was one of the better commissioners just because you didn't hear from him. He didn't have to do anything. Yeah. But once he started having to do stuff, he's quickly going to the worst. He so at this easily. point, Gary Bettman might be better than him. Wow. Like who's the, the best? Who's, be- who's not the worst? There isn't a best, but who's not the worst? It's not Silver because Silver's Silver. Silver's solid. Silver's, silver's not the worst. Yeah. Silver's not the worst. Who's the second not the worst? Is that is that Roger? I don't hate Manfred. No. Wow. wow, you it's still Batman. think Roger's the worst? Oh, Batman. Okay, ba- Batman. It, it, so like, the lockouts are bad, but we haven't had one in a decade now? It's been a yeah. while. And no. when, when things are not locked out, he does fine. Now, you know, spreading the uh, NHL to the Southwest was kind of questionable, especially after taking a team from Quebec. But... He's not terrible. Who's worse, Roger or Rob? Roger. <laughs> I, didn't even I think it's Rob. I think it's Rob. I would Rob. say Rob. I honestly, like, Roger to me, honestly, is, I like, how, like, the season went this past year and the fact that, like, yes, it was crazy and it seemed like it was controlled chaos, but the fact that we made it all the way through and we actually had a Super Bowl of fans, it, like, it was the best case scenario and the draft honestly was fun during in the heart of coronavirus like the worst part of it so you know i will give roger that credit in the whole league i think rob manfred is just digging his way farther down that list as far as i'm not saying manfred will always in my mind be better than roger but roger goodell has his wheel of punishment that he randomly decides where half of it is tom brady gets suspended for four games also it's Part of the issue is this collective bargaining agreement signed that said Roger Goodell can do whatever the fuck he wants. Yeah. yeah. And that's also half on the players for agreeing. Yes. But he <laughs> is abusing that. Oh, obviously. All right. And also, I have thought of someone worse than Roger Goodell. Fire. Mark Ember. Fuck that guy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, Kevin. The okay, worst. I with that one. He is everyone's worst commissioner. Not he quite corrupt like american let commissioner sports commission i've ever seen like holy shit all right yeah no, now not technically commissioner because he's in charge of the whole ncaa but you know the billion dollar non-profit non-profit enterprise oh you know that like screws over female athletes on the daily and even like makes and acts like their men's men's athletes are like, like treats not treats them like property but like definitely like acts like they're they're just lucky to be there i would yeah. love it I think it'd be so funny if a Title IX violation comes down from the government about the NCAA. Because they be did honest. violate Title IX. They did not easily. Give... The, 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 the weight rooms itself, yes, everyone brings up the fact that, like, oh, yeah, the, the men's tournament makes X amount of dollars women does. Yes, but at the same time, for what they spent on the men's tournament, which is what they spent on the women's, it's not even close to that percentage. They yeah. hunted on the women's tournament. Also, that's still a Title IX violation. The NCAA is technically a nonprofit, so profits or revenue shouldn't matter. But also, because they're a nonprofit and it's a Title IX issue, 
They have to spend the same amount on both. They cannot go, well, the men make more money, so we're going to spend more. No, that's not how Title it's IX not works. Like men, it's not like a Olympics, uh, not like men's and women's national team soccer where, like, the men make X amount and, like, went, or, like, the, it, there's a lot of different leagues, like the NBA versus WNBA debate, which I always see on, like, TikTok. And yes. Stuff. Yes. Yes. Not a Title IX violation because they're private, for-profit entities. There you go. Right. All right. Also, um, still, I, favorite thing. One last thing on that favorite argument I ever heard was the uh, NCAA does not receive federal funding so they don't have to listen to title nine guidelines <laughs> and i that's so it's like i have received i have not received my stimmy yet i'm gonna go sell drugs then right Jesus. uh I, one last thing about the astros is that so last night uh dusty baker there of course their new manager um was being interviewed wherever he was asked about the treating scandal and how you know people have been booing the fans or whatever or booing the players or whatever and he goes um he goes, well, you know, like, I, I don't like how the fans are, um, you know, the, they're a, they're acting like they've never cheated before. They've never cheated on the test. Uh, if we're all going to live in glass houses, I don't know if that's how it's going to work. But the thing is, the only thing Rob Manfred said is the punishment for these Astros players is that they will have to live for it for the rest of their lives. That's all he said. He said, we're not going to take away their title. We're not going to suspend them because they will have to live knowing that they cheated. And now the manager is saying, hey, we can't keep doing this. We can't keep acting like we haven't cheated before. This is the one punishment that you do get. So you can't whine about it. Fair enough. All right. Kev, you got something for me? I do. So as I I've told you guys, for as anyone, we have some Gump Twitter listeners. As anyone who is a member of Gump Twitter, they know Luke Ratliff, Fluffopotamus, a man synonymous with Alabama basketball, a man who is was very important to Alabama fandom. He unfortunately passed away last week, so I I never personally met him, but we have a friend who did. So I had Cruz hop on, and I gave we gave a he gave a quick talk about kind of who Luke was, their friendship, and everything else about that, and how important he was to Alabama sports. As we mentioned earlier in the show, this week's episode, or this Tuesday's episode, is dedicated to the life and memory of Luke Fluffopotamus Ratliff, Alabama superfan, uh, the man who single-handedly, not single-handedly, but helped build up the Alabama men's basketball fandom. I've tweeted multiple times, but it is really, it's Saban, Byrne, Oates, and Fluff. Man, for someone who wasn't on a team, maybe one of the most important people to Alabama sports. I did not personally know him. I felt not into personally knowing him. I felt I wanted to do something about him, talk about him. He was such a fun guy. He loved life. And we have the cruise control podcast, very own cruise auction writer who did know him was friends with him to say some words. So cruise, thank you for coming on and doing this. I know it's a very sad time for the Ratliff family and Alabama fandom as a whole. Uh, so thanks for taking time out of your day. Uh, what, why don't you just jump into it and say, like, talk about your friendship with Luke and anything else you want to say. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me. And, you know, much respect to you, you know, just showing a guy who brought so much, you know, love and joy to a ton of people's lives, including my own. Um, there's so many things I could say about Luke or, or as many people know him as fluff that 
there's just he's he's just he's one of a kind he really was um i got lucky enough to meet him i know you know i have some age on him and i've been out of school for a while but you know when i got to go back and i was introduced to him a couple years ago at colette's um when i went back for a game and i just see this big guy and you know, I didn't really know him. I just knew him about him from social media. And before I could even say a word, he said, how are you doing, man? And he just puts it there and he just gives me a hug and a handshake. And I had known him forever. And, you know, we just talked and yeah, we talked about Alabama a lot and Alabama sports, but, you know, we, we also talked a lot about life. I mean, Luke was really big into mental health as well. Um, something I'm really passionate about and something he was very passionate about. And, you know, obviously, um people know me and Luke for you know sports related things when it comes to University of Alabama but he was just so much more than that as a person he was someone who cared about others uh he was passionate um he was friendly he was genuine is honestly the best way to describe it um he brought so much energy and love to the university of Alabama, especially the basketball program. I mean, how many people can say as a student, your head basketball coach and your star players and, and athletic director, you know, all acknowledge you as a person, as a student, you know, you get dedicated at senior night too. I mean, just that's how much he just meant to everybody. Um, especially that, that team. And, you know, it's, it's heartbreaking the fact that, um, he just had so much to look forward to in life. Like he was, I, I had no doubt in my mind he was going to go far in life. He he was, he was that kind of person where it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, he ended up on ESPN one day or, or, you know, he worked for the university of Alabama basketball team or just something like that. He was just, he's one of a kind is the best way I can describe it. And, and I, I, I was woken up, um, I didn't find out like everybody else. I was asleep and um, I woke up. Uh, I was, my girlfriend woke me up and, and, you know, she kind of, she kind of told me and I was so out of it. Like I was half asleep that I thought it was just a horrible dream. And, and, you know, I just, I just see all these text messages and, and, and uh, tweets and everything like that. I just didn't think it was real. And um, it was rough and it's been rough and it's going to be rough. And, and I think Luke would be the first one to say that he, he would be the first one to say that not to, you know, dwell, dwell on this and, and, and to really, you know, cherish life and cherish friendships. And, and, you know, he, he deserves to be celebrated. You know, he, he, he's, he's not going anywhere. Legends, le- legends never die. And, and Luke, Luke is a legend. He really is. And he deserves, um, he deserves all the recognition he's gotten. And he, you know, the university of Alabama has done a great job. Um, the, the, the GoFundMe has been absolutely amazing and please keep donating to that. Um, all I can say is that, you know, Luke, it was, a true honor to call you a friend. And, you know, um, I told your mom this when I talked to her that um, any chance I get, uh, I'm going to do my best to make you proud. Yeah. I'm, and Cruz mentioned it. The uh, GoFundMe is a tribute to Luke Fluffopotamus Ratliff. 
uh, to help out his family in these very difficult times. There have been some amazing tributes to Luke's life from the University of Alabama, their athletic program, all the sports teams, even like ESPN has been covering it, but that cruise years just might take the cake as the most heartfelt one that I've heard. So thank you for coming on. I know at the corner booth, we try to keep things light and not talk about very serious things that often, but I felt that like many people did that Luke deserves to be talked about going forward for the rest of time. I, there's nothing I can say that can top what Cruz said. So Cruz, thank you for coming on in the middle of, course. of the day. Yeah, of course. And, and like I said, there are plenty of people who didn't know Luke and that's okay. Um, Cause he just know that just because you didn't meet him or, you know, personally or anything like that, he still would have loved you. Um, and and it is as you know, just generic as it is to say, just you know, don't take friendships in life for granted. Um, because it's things like this, unfortunately, that make you realize like how precious life really is and how you know how much friendships mean. Um, at the end of the day, and you know, to the Ratliff family, um, I love you guys. Um, it's been an honor to you know, get to know you over the past couple of years. And I, I know there are so many more people that know you on a better personal level, but that's just how much being friends uh, with Luke meant to me. And, um, and, you know, just please keep donating to the, to the GoFundMe and, you know, just, just, um, you know, just, just be kind, just do what, do what Luke would do. Just remember that at the end of the day, just do what do what Luke would do. Yeah. Thanks again, Cruz. I cannot. I understand this is very difficult to talk about as someone who was very good friends with him, but I do appreciate you coming on. If you want to hear more stories like Cruz's, check out Cruise Control Podcast this week. He's having people tell their stories about Luke and how he impacted their lives. So, Wow, some good stuff, Kevin. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for Cruz for hopping on. Let's talk to Kev a little bit. Uh, of course, um, shout out to all Gump Twitter for the support and RIP to Flipopotamus as well. Um, thank you so much for stopping by. I am Jared. That's the intern, Samir. And that's my right-hand man, Mr. Kev. We'll be back on Thursday with our man, Pat, the marketing wizard himself for uh, our live stream. I think it's episode 46, I believe. Um, so we will catch y'all later. Deuces. Okay. Uh Hey guys, Jared. Thanks for checking out the Corner Booth Pod. Be sure to check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Corner Booth Pod. This podcast is brought to you by the Belly of Podcast Network.